0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Chris and Nick Show here on Big Blue View Radio. I am one of the hosts, Nick Villato, joined, as always, by Chris Flum. And, Chris, the New York Giants are 6-1. and It's very exciting. And I just wanted to start this podcast by going over the first drive of the game for the New York Giants, a team that is known for running the football and giving the football to their best player, Saquon Barkley. We know Jacksonville anticipated that. So they loaded the box, seven, eight guys. So what did Mike Kafka, Daniel Jones, and his New York Giants offense do? They threw the football on every play except for one on that touchdown drive, the first touchdown drive to open a game this season for the New York Giants. And the only rush that they had on that drive, was a four-yard loss to set up the second-and-14 touchdown pass to Darius Slayton, which was a beautiful pass from Daniel Jones. Also, I think it's something we should note that they weren't all just true pass attempts. A lot of them were RPOs, allowed Daniel Jones to read the defenders. Those linebackers and second-level defenders were really pinching up towards the line of scrimmage, and Daniel Jones made them pay. But what do you feel about Daniel Jones putting the team on his back to begin the game on the road and how he was able to deliver seven points.
2: Yeah. I think it was a gutsy decision by Mike Kafka to, to scheme that kind of an opening for the game, but it was also really incredibly shrewd because you knew we all knew the Jaguars have a good run defense. They've got a good defense in general. However, Their pass defense, not as good as their run defense, and that was a pass defense that had Shaquille Griffin. Shaquille Griffin missed the game with a back injury. So it really made sense, yeah, just in a vacuum and obviously on the field, for the Giants to go and air the ball out, which they did a lot of in that first half. You know, they had, I think it was something like 165, 168 yards passing, uh, 7.6 yards for attempt in the first half. It was really it looked like it was going to be their best day throwing the ball of the season, like their passing attack would finally break through and really start to look like a strength of the team. And yeah, I, I really liked the decision to attack. An opponent's weakness uh, attack an opponent's tendency, which is really what Mike Kafka has done all season long.
1: He's a tendency exploiter, Chris. That's what Mike Kafka is. And if you want to try to stop one thing, he's going to have a bunch of things up his sleeves to combat that, to put his offense into a position to have success. We saw it throughout the game. How much eye candy all throughout the season, really, Chris, has Mike Kafka used in the backfield with these fake jet sweeps, then hand the jet sweep, the end around with the fake pass to Saquon Barkley, little plays like that, where behind the line of scrimmage, he's basically creating some sort of obstruction for the defense to not see the football going into the mesh point. He had the one play in split back where he brought Matt Breida in front of the mesh point with Saquon Barkley in shotgun, and if you look at the second level defenders, Matt Breida is blocking the mesh point. The football could realistically be going to three players there, and that's going to cause hesitation, and Saquon Barkley ended up faking it, going to the left. Daniel Jones kept it with a lead blocker to Matt Breida, and they picked up a nice gain. Little plays like that, man, it's not reinventing the wheel, but it's just creative, and it's, from what we've seen recently, really advanced from what we've seen recently, but it's not the craziest offense you've ever seen. It's just this coaching staff does so well with adjustments. And then we also saw, Chris, at the end of the game, the final drive, eight plays, how if you don't need adjustments, if it's not broken, you don't need to fix it because eight plays, eight of the same plays, which is insane to think about with a little bit of adjustments on him. But what did you make of that, Chris? Just keep running the football down Jacksonville's throw at the end of the game, just demoralizing your opponent.
2: Yeah, I think that was the effect of... All of how good the Giants have been at getting just enough offense to continue their drives. You know, they haven't been scoring a ton of points. They have gotten a lot from Graham Gano. You know, really, the Giant, a successful drive by the Giants is one that gets anywhere inside of the opponent's 40 yard line because at that point, Graham Gano is pretty much automatic and that gives them a lot of freedom. So they can really live on five, six, seven yard passes. You know, three, four yard runs, and just keep nibbling away at the field, and extending drives. Yeah, you know, stringing together first downs, even if it's not converting third downs. If they're getting first down off of second down, that's great. You know, that keeps the that drive going. And I thought by the end of the game, the Jaguars' defense was pretty well gassed. You know, we saw them have defenders in the Giants' backfield you know, in the fourth quarter, and it looked like there were a couple plays where they were going to have Saquon Barkley tackled for either a short gain or maybe even a loss, but those defenders were just playing more slowly than they did at the start of the game, and the Giants' blockers were able to get to the second level, Barkley did what Barkley does and made the first guy miss. And then he was able to pick up yardage and what would have been a short gain turned into a longer gain. And, you know, we we were talking before we started is like the last time we saw a, a drive like that was when Geno Smith was quarterbacking the jets. And the last thing they wanted to do was throw the ball, which is also a little bit interesting because the giants did not have a single passing yard. In the fourth quarter, whenever they moved the ball, it was on the ground.
1: And I also think the reason the Jets did that was because Geno Smith just threw an interception and Rex Ryan had no faith in Geno Smith at that point in the game. That's not necessarily the reason why Brian Dable and Mike Kafka called this game for Daniel Jones, who I felt like had another really good outing. Now, the interception that he threw that was called back, we probably would be singing a little bit of a different tune. That was a roughing the passer, helmet to helmet. There was two in the game. One of them was not called, and it really pisses me off because the Giants were called for two wildly dubious ones. But I digress a little bit. But in terms of that final drive, you run the football, the same exact power play with this extra offensive lineman on the field, three times, then you just flip it with Matt Breida to the other side. You run it to uh, to Chris Myrick's side, and then you just run the play action on the second and eight with play action, naked bootleg with Daniel Jones running to just basically for like 20 something yards to, to secure the giants in the field goal range. Cause it's 20 to 17 at that point. And it's just one of these things, man, where it's just like Jacksonville. If you watch that play, Devin Lloyd and Trevon Walker are biting so hard on the play fake fig- fake to Matt Breida, And they're just flowing and just a, avoiding and evading the space that they're supposed to be in. and Daniel Jones just obliges. It reminded me a little bit of the Chicago game where Daniel Jones, it was a different formation, but where Daniel Jones had the two rushing touchdowns, it's like the defense just completely forgot that he could keep the ball. And when you're getting pounded that bad by the rushing attack, Chris, it's easy to kind of forget that the quarterback is as, is as athletic as he really is.
2: Yes. Although we did, we did see the uh, the turf monster rear its ugly head again. Yeah. That, and I think that does kind of weigh into things a little bit because Daniel Jones is fast in a straight line, but he does have that kind of feeling about him where it doesn't seem like he is, it doesn't seem like he is athletic as he actually is. And it, I think that makes it easier for defenses to kind of forget about him and his ability to run. They kind of, there are a lot of times where, it seems like defenses are still defending the giants as though Eli Manning is the quarterback and he's going to sit back and survey the field from the pocket. And that's really not what the giants offense is anymore.
1: It's not at all. And Daniel Jones, there are a couple plays on tape, where he had a defender who squared him up in space. This is a cornerback, you know, a safety, very athletic players. And Daniel Jones still outruns him to the sideline. And it wasn't even like it was on the numbers. It was closer to the sideline. That's just how quick and athletic Daniel Jones is. But Chris I want to transition a little bit to the defense before we touch on some more broad issues plaguing the New York giants right now. And then a really interesting listener question, the wink Martindale defense. I love it. Right. But, this is a few games now where we have seen the run defense be exploited. And I feel like the the holes and the issues at the linebacker position persistently have been plaguing the New York Giants and their ability to really contain running backs like Travis Etienne, who seem like they're in for a breakout type year now that James Robinson was just traded to the Jets. but What do you make of these defensive struggles? And is this something that the Giants you think will have to deal with basically all season?
2: yeah i think it is something the giant they're just going to have to deal with all season and really just kind of staunch the bleeding because they are just struggling to contain athletic runners on the edge we saw it right in the first game with the tennessee titans where yeah they were able to bottle up derrick henry at least as much as anyone else is but as soon as the the Titans went to their change up back. As soon as they put more speed on the field, they were able to really outrun the Giants defenders, at least at the second level, you know, first and second levels. Now the Giants are stout up the middle. Uh, Dexter Lawrence is piling guys up in the middle. Really all the Giants interior defensive linemen are great at creating piles, controlling the line of scrimmage. Winning their gaps, and then their linebackers are good at flowing downhill into those interior gaps. But when you get the defense flowing laterally, things tend to break down for the Giants. And even when they run nickel, dime, dollar packages, you know, put every DB they have on the roster on the field yeah then you get situations where blockers are able to get to the second level and you just have a size mismatch and unfortunately i'm sure Wig martindale is is working working overtime trying to figure out a way to keep another running back from not getting nine yards per carry like travis etienne did but i don't know if he's got the personnel to really lock it down i mean right now the giants have the giants are last in the league in terms of yards per attempt against them and they're t- well they're they're third in the league in for most yards given up so that's yeah that's not good company to be in right now
0: vacations can be tricky you already know how to book flights and hotels but now the only thing you're missing is
1: it's pretty crazy if you were to look at the giants stats and this is why stats can be a little misleading you would think that this team has like two wins right like they're what last in the league in passing right now passing yards and they can't stop the run yet they are six and one like those those statistics together the record and those two offensive and defensive statistics that i just listed they shouldn't go together chris
2: no not at all yeah the yeah, at least of teams that have uh, have played seven games so far, the Giants are the third worst in passing, the third lowest in terms of passing yards. If you're a team that can't throw the ball and can't stop the run, odds are you're not going to win very many games. But I think it really is a testament to the Giants coaching staff and how, how well they have this team executing and how they are really forcing their opponents into playing with no margin for error that the Giants are able to keep winning.
1: Exactly. Whenever an opposing team makes a mistake, Chris, this team makes them pay. And then they play relatively mistake-free football. And that's kind of been their MO so far to win football games. And the defense, although it has its holes, they're very opportunistic as we've seen over the last two weeks like the fumble on Travis Etienne that is a game-changing type of play and then you had the strip sack by Kayvon Thibodeau last week and the interception by Julian Love to end Baltimore's final two drives like those are huge impact momentum swinging plays where the Giants are just stepping up in the right situations I think it's fair to ask And I know a lot of people who don't cover the Giants and aren't around the Giants would say that that's a little lucky. I don't really like saying that it's lucky per se. I don't know how sustainable it is, which I think is a better way to put it. But at the same time, I think the Giants are coming up with these big plays because they are so well coached and because they do not beat themselves. But you can also look at it from a different perspective and say, Lamar Jackson doesn't bobble that snap. Does he ever end up throwing that interception to Julian Love? Like Those things I feel like are fair to to ask. But overall, I think the issues with this defense could be something that that will plague the Giants going forward if they can't figure out how to solidify and stop lateral runs. That has been the big issue. It's not like the Giants are getting pounded in the A-gap, bro. They're not because Dexter Lawrence is playing nose and good luck running against him. There was a play that he had against Brendan Sheriff where he just tossed Brendan Sheriff to the side and tackled Travis Etienne on an A-gap run. So that's not the issue, but they really need to do a better job solidifying the edge. And it's not all on the edge rushers. It's on the linebackers. It's on the secondary contained defenders. It's on the alley defenders. It's on some of the defensive linemen to string the run out. We saw them do a good job against Derrick Henry in week one on lateral runs against outside zone. But ever since then, it's been a little bit problematic. And if you really go back to week three against Dallas, that's when we really saw it rear its ugly head.
2: Yes, and the Giants still have good rushing offenses they have to face you know they've got Dallas again, they have Washington twice, they've got the Eagles twice you know even right in there that in their division that is some you know cause for concern and the question as to w- can the Giants keep winning this way? can't is it sustainable really sustainable? can they win this way against a team that plays a clean game you know that plays, and executes the same way they do. You know, that, that is a question we've been asking since week one. And so far the answer has been yes. But a lot of times it really does feel like the Giants are getting any given Sunday wins every single Sunday. So it, it I I just have to keep tossing it back to the Giants coaching staff. And yeah, I've been saying for a couple weeks now, Brian Dayball is coach of the year. I think there is a very strong argument to say that the Giants have the best coaching staff in the NFL.
1: And I don't think you're being hyperbolic. I, I really don't, which is crazy to think about. But look at what they're doing right now and look how well prepared they are. And we're talking about how sustainable is this. And like I said, I think they're fair questions, Chris. But I also think it can be somewhat sustainable because of how prepared this team is because it's not like like every game the giants i think every one of the giants wins have been by less than 8 points it's not like the giants are are commanding and 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 winning these games by a lot they're they're keeping you close and as some of the giants players reference they're bringing you to the deep end of the pool and then they're freaking drowning you and that's exactly what this team is doing and they're all bought in talk about momentum the new york giants have a ton of momentum right now and that is a testament to this team that is in place from the guys Joe Shane brought in from some of the guys that Dave Gettleman drafted and also just how they have all bought into Brian Dable's message.
2: Yes, absolutely. Now there is, there are some other things we do have to talk about and you know, I, I I suppose we, we probably do have to get to the injury situation, which uh, every week, every single week we are talking about guys who are, Playing well and then get hurt. Just going back to the preseason, it seems like the Giants cannot play a game without losing a player. Yeah, I, it, it's, I, I am just beyond tired of talking about it, but we have to talk about it because, well, it, it's football and injuries are part of the game. The, in the first quarter, the Giants lost Ben Bredesen and then they lost Evan Neal, both to knee injuries. We don't know the nature of Bredesen's knee injury. He's listed as day to day. Evan Neal has a grade two MCL sprain. He too is listed as day to day. Um, Just to translate from that, from Brian Dayball's speech to English, that means their lower legs are still connected to their upper legs. That's pretty much what that means. Yeah, they're not on the injured reserve. Uh, They will be day to day until they are back, whenever that may be. And then also Daniel Bellinger, um, he is going to have to go in for surgery to repair broken bones it's just an incredibly unfortunate situation with that and you know we're we're really just you know trying to send him positive vibes and you know hope he gets back healthy as soon as possible
1: yeah that daniel bellinger injury is gruesome and i feel so bad for the kid because he's having a great season rookie tight ends typically takes a while for them to Assert themselves on the football field, but Daniel Bellinger did it, and it seems seamless. And it was a steady drumbeat from training camp. So get healthy, man. That's that sucks. And the offensive lineman losing two of your starting offensive linemen in the first quarter of a game. I mean, Evan Neal might have went down at the beginning of the second quarter, but either way, and then to have Joshua Azudu come into the game and play the way he did, even though he's not perfect, but still, you have him play basically the entire game, and then Tyree Phillips comes in and plays pretty damn well, also says something about the coaching of Bobby Johnson to get both of those guys prepared to go out there and then end up winning a football game. I mean, it's a pretty formidable defensive front. So it looks like it could be Joshua Zudu long-term. We still have to wait and see what's going on with Nick Gates. That decision will be made this week. It has to be made this week. Shane Lemieux, it's still like, what the hell is going on with Shane Lemieux? I feel like that's probably something a lot of Giant fans are asking themselves. At first, with the, his injury, it was like, oh yeah, you know, it's a little... Uh, no, like he's been out ever since the beginning of the season. So ever since the first preseason game, which is been really unfortunate. And then as for the tight end position... Chris Myrick, I felt like, played well. He's going to be the blocking tight end. Tanner Hudson is somebody who isn't the best blocker, but he's an adequate tight end. And the Giants just called up Andre Miller, and they also brought in the wide receiver to their practice squad last week, the kid from Georgia. So he's another player that I feel like could factor in, but he's not necessarily a blocker, or at least he wasn't in college. And I haven't studied his tape since his time at Georgia where he was a, where he was a wide receiver, but you need somebody who can block. And I think that's something that the Giants might struggle to replace because you had two pretty solid blocking tight ends with Myrick and Bellinger. Now that Bellinger isn't there, who is going to fill that role?
2: Yeah, I think we could see more uh, heavy sets on the offensive line. See Devery Hamilton brought in as a blocker. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to run. That can be a very effective formation for throwing the ball because the defense has absolutely no choice, but to prepare for a run. If you put another offensive lineman on the field, and then if you condense things, that creates traffic. You have less athletic players. That's when you can really scheme separation, maybe get the ball to uh, Saquon Barkley or Wandale Robinson in space and then let them do what they do. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Bellinger go on the injured reserve, if he isn't already on the injured reserve by the time this podcast drops. And then we might see Nick Gates get that roster spot, which would be, a tremendous development for him.
1: Tremendous is right. And I am a little nervous about how that tight end position is is going to be replaced. I feel like that's a huge loss for the Giants. Everything they did was based on the is, is based on the play action and those tight ends, they chip and then they release. And Daniel Bellinger has been a pivotal part of this offense. So that does suck. I don't know if Lawrence Cage or the kid from Georgia that we were referencing before can step in and have a seamless transition or if he can block as well as Bellinger. So we're, we're going to have to wait and see, I would love to see Nick Gates back, bro, because, geez, if anybody deserves to be back on the football field after a gruesome injury, it's him.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, just talking about the Giants receiving, you know, we have seen uh, some questions as the trade deadline approaches. You know, will the Giants trade for a wide receiver? Or now, I suppose, would will they trade for a tight end? And, you know, personally, I, I think I would be surprised if Joe Shane uses his draft capital to acquire people right now to, to add to the roster, you know, just because they have been, the giants have been very big on trusting the process. And the process for this year was mostly just to get through 2022 and then really work on building the team in 2023 and beyond. Yeah, They just so happened to be winning a lot more games than people thought they would. But you know the, the Giants' receiving core has been, we'll we'll say weak. <laughs> I, I think that's a that that's kind of an adequate description of them. Yeah, you know, obviously, Kenny Galladay has not really seen the field. Kadarius Tony hasn't seen the field. Uh, Wandale Robinson just got back on the field. But uh, all in all, the the Giants' receiving core hasn't been what what they or really anyone else would have liked. So we got this question from Carl Pellegrino, and it says, injuries aside, we haven't seen much wide receiver production since 2018 after Odell Beckham Jr. left. But when we watch other games, we see many other teams' wide receivers getting open downfield on a regular basis and wonder, why can't we do that? Obviously, wide receiver upgrades will be an offseason priority for us, That the, us being the Giants. Could you explain the characteristics of what it takes to become a productive wide receiver and especially what goes into how a wide receiver creates separation?
1: Absolutely. I think there are so many different avenues we could take this question because first you got to look at how the defense is playing the wide receiver. There are so many different leverages just within man coverage that a defender is going up against a wide receiver and if you want to talk about separation skills, it starts at the line of scrimmage, right? Obviously you need to have the requisite athletic ability, but you don't necessarily need that to create separation. But I think your release off the line of scrimmage against press coverage, if you want to start really close to the line of scrimmage, is one way to take advantage and create separation right off the snap. Like we saw from Darius Slayton and Marcus Johnson on the touchdown pass on the second and 14 that we went over a little bit before. Those were two great releases by both of those wide receivers. Both of them were open against cover one middle of the field, closed type defense that the Jacksonville Jags rolled out, but you need to know your opponent, I think is, is for starters. Cause I think similar to an edge rusher going up against an offensive tackle, Chris, it's a chess match every play. And I feel like if you listen to wide receivers, like Cooper cup, and Devontae Adams talk about releasing off the line of scrimmage, it usually always starts with knowing the tendencies of the guy who is aligned over top of them. Can you open his hips in one direction? Will he be disciplined at the line of scrimmage? Will he trust his technique and step back or will he open his hips? And then you can dart in the opposite direction, putting yourself at an advantageous leverage. All of those questions I feel like are are very nuanced. It's very in-depth type stuff. But if we're talking about just evaluation type of traits, I would say Athletic ability is number one. Mental processing is also up there. And I also think the ability to sink your hips in and out of breaks and then explode in and out of those breaks. The ability to decelerate when your momentum is going really fast up the field. Like say if you're selling a nine route, which is a streak down the field. If you can explode up your vertical stem, which is just off the line of scrimmage and you're you're forward lean and you're running really fast and then you could just slam on the brakes, sink your hips and turn back to the quarterback. Like those are all athletic traits, but it's also just kind of body control, right? and Balance and things like that. If you can do that, then you can get open. And if you have good timing with your quarterback, you can get hit on those quick comeback routes, those quick curl routes, which are all just kind of on a vertical plane, but you can also break in and out of your dig routes and your out routes towards the line of scrimmage on a 90 degree angle. If you can really just, instead of rounding that, make that more of a refined angle, then you can also create separation. And that doesn't even kind of get into the, the nuances of creating separation at the top of a break, which I'll go over after you're done expounding upon everything that I've already talked about.
2: (laughs) Yeah. You know, I'm glad you brought up Cooper cup because he is one of the best separating wide receivers in the NFL today, but he is not one of the best pure. I I should say one of the best timed athletes. He isn't super fast. He is, I would say quick agile. He's, he has good movement skills, but you know, compare him to say, Odell Beckham in his prime and OBJ kind of blows Cooper cup out of the water. As far as being just a a pure athlete, I would say athletic ability and yes, the timed what the underwear Olympics athleticism that does factor into it. Having the speed to stress defenses deep, uh, really stress, uh, cornerbacks the explosiveness to fire off the line of scrimmage against off coverage or to press your press your stem into the db before cutting and all of that or accelerating downfield out of your cuts and breaks you know all that is very important i would also say the mental processing is equally as important as that because that to me that encompasses being on the same page as your quarterback understanding really understanding what the route combination you are running the route concepts are trying to do and how they are manipulating defenses that that encompasses knowing your opponent knowing their tendencies understanding their leverages and also knowing your re- release strategies you know how to stutter step use your hands to clear press coverage or at the top of routes, how to use your hands without getting flagged for offensive pass interference. That's important as well, I would say. And then, you know, even the chess match over the course of a game. You know, this was one, re- one thing that I loved from Odell, which, yes, phenomenal athlete, but he used his athleticism to unlock his mental toolbox. And he would set DBs up over the course of a game where he would show certain things early on they he'd almost train them to expect him to use those strategies in certain situations, and then he'd then he'd swip, then he'd flip it up, you know, switch it up on them, and change how he would release against certain coverages, or if he would, if he was showing a certain route, how you where in your route, which stride you are on when you break is important because that can be the difference between a quick sharp break and a m- slower more rounded break and yeah, you know, all these things are it's stuff you honestly don't notice over the course of a game but when you go back and study receivers and slow the game take down when you can see okay if he's breaking to the left he's got his right foot planted so he can just explode off of it and go and go into a new direction yeah that's something you don't you don't notice a game speed, but it does really make a difference in how a receiver is able to separate.
1: There are so much that goes into playing the wide receiver position, ladies and gentlemen and Chris, and I'd like the fact that you brought up the spatial awareness aspect of it. I think it's really important, especially in this Giants offense that has choice type of routes. And you know, you notice that Daniel Jones has praised guys like Daniel Bellinger for, for noticing what the defense is doing, and then sitting within zone coverages to basically not run himself out of the play. I think little things like that, just knowing what the defense's intentions are pre and post snap, and then also reacting to the leverage being played by the defender who is over top of you, that can go a long way as well. And in terms of creating separation at the top of your break, you touched on this a little bit. You want to not get the OPI penalty. And one way that you'll see wide receivers create separation at the top of their brace, and maybe they're not the most athletic, is say you're going up against man coverage, and the covering defender is either directly over top of you, say seven yards off, outside leverage a little bit. You're trying to run a post route, and you're just outside the numbers, maybe even on the numbers. You can run directly at said wide, said cornerback, And you can angle your stem in any different direction to influence that cornerback. Because wherever you angle your stem, that cornerback is going to react to what you're doing and where you're headed. So if you want to break outside, you can angle inward and then break out. If you want to break inside, you can angle outward and then angle in. And a lot of times when you angle outward, there are a lot of times, and this is a great technique that a lot of wide receivers use. It's called using your flipper at the top of your break. So say you're running that post route that I was talking about. You run directly at your cornerback and you're bending outside. So post route's going to go inside, right? So you're bending outside, just basically at, with your shoulders. You're just leaning outside like you're going to break in that direction. Then once you get into the leverage of that cornerback, once you get up on his toes, you make contact, you sink that outside shoulder and you initiate contact and then you just use your elbow, to basically elbow that cornerback you're not fully extending but that elbow is going to stump that cornerback it's going to stop his momentum and then you break on that outside foot and go over the middle of the field there's going to be natural separation that's created through that so if a cornerback is playing you in that manner and they're kind of pressing up on you after having some off coverage that is one way to create separation over the middle of the field it's just using your flipper using your lean lean Break off your outside foot, flip, create that separation. That's how guys like David Sills are getting open because they're not going to be using their athletic ability to really create a lot of separation.
2: Yeah, and as we get more towards the draft process, you know, wide receivers come in just about every single, every conceivable uh, body shape, body type. At least you know, within a range, you're not going to get too many uh, wide receivers who, you know. Uh, Look like Andrew Thomas out there, although you know he does have that receiving touchdown. Different body types, different athletic traits and skill sets. They can all be used. Obviously, every team wants to get a Randy Moss or a Calvin Johnson, a guy who's six four, six five, runs a four two forty, can cut on a dime, and is just you know, honestly, barely even human as far as athleticism goes. But those guys are very, very rare, and. It you really don't need a receiver to have, you know tens across the board as far as athletic and physical traits go in order to be a great receiver. There is a lot of very very good receivers, some of the most productive receivers in the NFL that are, you know, six foot six one, you know, right around two hundred, maybe two hundred and five pounds, run a four four forty. It's just that they are able to. Use their skills, their mental processing, their awareness, their motor control, uh, body control, and their football IQ, understanding of the game. And really also being on the same page with the rest of their offense, you know, like knowing the quarterback is going to look off that safety, so I'm going to have an extra two yards of field in front of me if I break on the seventh step of my stem you know that sort of thing it's really nuanced it, it can get very very granular but all of that really does go into it
1: and that's why you have to realize and just notice how there are so many receivers who come into the league and they're winning with their athletic ability right and then as they get older their athletic ability wanes yet they still are productive and the way they're productive is because they understand how to come open against zone coverage and they understand how to create separation against man coverage even though they might not be as athletic as they used to be but Chris do you have anything else
2: you know I think that's about it Yeah, we I I Honestly, I think we've talked longer than we planned on talking and, you know, we should probably get out of here so we can get into the tape and get ready for the Seahawks game because, you know, we mentioned Geno Smith before and, you know, Giants great Geno Smith is back.
1: Giants, great Gino Smith. Thank you everybody for tuning in to the Chris and Nick show here on Big Blue View radio. Please head on over to bigblueview.com. To check out all of our written content and also like subscribe to the podcast it goes a long way for us. Thank you so much, everybody. Let's go giants and take care of each other.
0: More to do's less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder.